You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Now I have here uh, something that is delicious, and that is not just chocolate, but it's Tabasco spicy chocolate. This is the... <laughs> who thinks that sounds delicious? All right, who would like to try one? All right, that's not Sean... Because Sean is trying to, Quincy, do you like spicy stuff? No, I didn't think so. All right, who's down here? Who's close? All right, come up here, Austin. Here you go, man. Come here and try this. All right, give it a, give it a, give it a whirl. How's it taste? Like chocolate at first and then Tabasco? Tastes just like chocolate. All right, well, mm. you know what? That's just the way we like it. Just a little spice. Guys, let me, let me tell you something. We often treat Jesus like hot sauce. We don't really want, you know, Jesus to kind of take over our life. We just want him to spice up our life. You know, we want to be able to have our life, our way of doing things, our perspective, our view of, of, of whatever, of, of our opinions. And then we just a little dab over here, a little sprinkle here, a little, a little, you know, a little two drops here of Jesus here. And then we think, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really not about Jesus when we do it like that. And, and the book of first John, this little tiny letter, it's, it's small. It's five short chapters. You can read it in 15 minutes. John shares 10 questions in 22 of those passages about how there are those of, of, of people in the church, people in the body of Christ that, that think they're Christians because they like to dab their life with the little spicy Jesus every now and then. And, and kind of like that video, they're people who, who are not being honest with themselves. They're not being real with others. They're, they've got this phony facade, fakeness, a plastic relationship with Jesus. They have just enough to Jesus just to make him feel like, yeah, I like hot stuff. It's just a little bit. Guys, Jesus is not hot sauce. He's not a a spicy additive to our life. Jesus is not something that you can just sprinkle on things. And what John does as, as one of the last apostles alive, he's sitting in the back of the church in Ephesus, and he's writing a few letters to the church, knowing that his life is coming to an end. Uh, at this point, he was it is believed that he was in his upper 80s, He's the only apostle that lived to be an old man. All of the others were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. But here is John, the elder statesman in the back of the church, writing a letter. This is one of them. And he says, guys, I'm looking out over the church, and I'm seeing a lot of people who treat Jesus like hot sauce. They treat Jesus like he's some sort of add-on to their life. And he says, you know what? Jesus is not an additive. He's an all or nothing. And so he writes this letter and says, this is how you know someone is for real and someone is a phony. And so what he does is he begins to lay out what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what the whole letter's been about. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do the big picture of the entire overview of all those 10 questions. And then we're going to read the very last section and we're going to see what God has for you as we face ourselves in the mirror as this series is called The Moment of Truth, we have to ask these questions to ourselves: Are you for real or are you fake? So let's take a look. John's 10 
clarifying questions. We're going to fly over all of them, uh, and then we're going to end up where we left off the last time. So uh, look in the mirror. Let's take the test. Are you a Christian, a real one, or are you a Christian by religion? That means is this the religion that you've adopted as your own, or are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? All right, here's 10 questions to ask yourself. The first one, John says, uh, is this. We call it the morality test. And the question is, am I walking in the light that I have? In 1 John 1, 6, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't have the truth. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. Now, guys, the way we walk does not purify us of our sins, but because we are purified of our sins, we walk differently. And that's what John is saying. You don't clean up your life to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and then he, from the inside out, walks out through you a different life. And John says, this is how you know someone is truly a follower of Christ. They walk in the light that they have. Now, you may not understand it all, You may not understand all the the theology questions and all the the answers to the Bible questions and the answers to to life. And you may not understand, you know, what you're reading all the time. But but here's what John is saying, that you know in your heart there's a sense of right and wrong and that you're pursuing and trying to do what is right in the eyes of God. That's question number one. Are you walking in the light that you have? Number two, it's the humility question. And this is, will I admit that I... I'm a sinner. First John 1 John 1.8, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, he says, If we claim that we have not sinned, uh, we've made him, Jesus, to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Guys, this is crucial. You cannot know Christ until you acknowledge your need for Christ. It's just that simple. Jesus came to forgive us and deliver us and set us free from the chains of our own sin. And if you cannot see that you are a sinner, then you're calling Jesus a liar for what he came for, and you're truly not his. See, a lot of people think, well, you're the sinner, not me. I'm a good person. I'm a decent person. I try my best. I, I treat people nice. I, I give every now and then. I do positive. I open the door for people. I, I, I don't do negative and harsh things only every now and then. I'm pretty much a good person. And you think you don't need God or need to repent. John says, if you think you're without sin, you're not a follower of Christ. See, this is completely against culture. Sin is a negative word. Culture says we're all okay, but God says we're not all okay. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came, because you're not okay. That's why the cross was so bloody and brutal and violent, because you're not okay. Sin is not something to be winked at. Sin is not okay. So John says, you know who a true follower of Christ is? It's the one who acknowledges that they need Jesus. The truth is we've all messed up, every one of us, and we've all fallen short of God's standards. That's why we need him. The third question that John asks is this. It's the obedience question. And this is, am I obeying his commands? First John 2, 4 says, the man who says, I know him or know Jesus, that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Christ. Anyone who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, what Jesus commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him, and this is how we know we are in him. 
Again, it is not your actions that make you right with him, but when you are walking in Christ, you read his words and it convicts you and you begin to obey his word because he is in you. This is how you know he is in you. This is not how you get him in you. This is how you know he is in you and how you are in him. Do I treat the Bible as God's word or do I treat it as good advice? Big question. Do you pick and choose what you want to believe in here? Does the Bible have to go through your filter of your opinion, of your cultural experiences? Because the Word of God does not have an expiration date. And are we following and transitioning our life to follow His Word? Or are we shifting and, 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 and changing the Bible to match our words and our will? When God's Word is clear on something, do you obey? Do I walk in the clear commands of Jesus and the apostles? That's what John asks, number three. Here's number four, and it's the forgiveness question. And this is, is there someone I won't forgive? John says this, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. These are all out of 1 John. See, John wrote this letter so that you could know that you are right with God. This This is the spiritual lie detector test. And one of the questions is, if you... Have someone you will not and cannot forgive. You need to check your heart with Jesus, the moment of truth. Because he says, if you hate someone, you're still in the darkness. Am I forgiving those who have wronged me or who I have wronged myself? What about those who deeply hurt us? Jesus has given us the ability to forgive because he has forgiven us. You see... Paul says this in another place. He says, love doesn't keep score. So if you're keeping score on that coworker, that friend, that ex-husband or wife or that current spouse or that family member or your parents, John says, you know what? Moment of truth. You're still walking in the darkness. Here's number five. It's the priorities test. And the priorities test is what am I chasing? This is what he says in 1 John 2.15. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's real simple. He he says, what is the main motivation of what you are pursuing? What are you chasing? Nothing wrong with loving or pursuing things on earth. Man, I love a lot of things about this. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love you. Gee, thanks, Dad. I love love the beach. I love skiing. Man, I love snow skiing. I love the mountains. I love nature. Nature. And, you know, there's, I love the simple pleasures of listening to good music. Man, I, I love a good movie. But these are not the kind of things that he's talking about. He's saying, are you pursuing, are you passionately in love with this world more than you are in love with Jesus? Are you pursuing primarily the things of the afterlife or the things of this life? Tough question. Because the passions of our life reveal the priorities of our heart. And that's what John is saying. John is saying, you know how you know if someone's truly a follower of Christ? Look at what they're chasing. If they're chasing money, then they might need to check their heart at the door. Moment of truth. Are you truly a follower of Christ? If you're chasing fame and position, and if you're just chasing an education, if you're just wanting accolades and attention, if you're just wanting more of whatever you can get your hands on, what you chase proves the priorities of your heart. Am I primarily pursuing eternal or earthly rewards? Here's the sixth question. It's the perseverance test. 
And this is a tough one. It's did I stick it out or bail out? In 1 John 2.19, he says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Guys, how do you know if someone's truly a follower of Christ? John says real simple, just wait. Just wait. For every kid that, that walks an aisle, every adult that raises their hand, every prayer that is prayed or every card that is filled out, yeah, we'll see in a year or two years or three years because those who are truly is are his. And you don't bail. It doesn't mean you don't fall. It doesn't mean you don't stumble. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. But when you stick, you know you're legit. It's just that simple. And I, I, over the years of, of 20 plus years of ministry, about 25 years of ministry, 23 years of full-time ministry, I've seen literally thousands of people come to know Christ through my ministry. And I don't, I really don't think they're all Christians. They have walked an aisle. They have raised their hands. They've even cried at an altar. But it was months later when they bailed because it was emotions it wasn't a spiritual decision. It was an emotional decision. It was religion rather than regeneration. And John says, you know how, the, how you can tell who's real? Just wait. Just wait and see. Because if they leave, there's a good chance they never were. That's a tough, tough thing to own for a family member that you love or even for yourself. Some of you, you, you say you gave your life to Christ as a kid, and then as an adult, you came back to church, and you, got, you, know, you, got, you renewed your walk with God. There's a real possibility that you weren't saved as a kid, that you were influenced by the religious environments that you were in at a camp or kids' church or, or even as a youth or in a, as an adult. But it wasn't until you came back and God threw you on your face and brought you to your knees that you realized, I truly am a sinner in need of Christ. And at that moment, through humility and brokenness, you were born again. But John says, this is how you know. Did I stick it out or did I bail out? A good start does not guarantee a happy ending. John is telling us our faith is not so much how we start, it's how we finish. Here's the next test, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. It's test number 7. He says, who is a liar? That means who's a phony? Who's not the real deal? Who's a fake Christian? Who's a liar? Well, it is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. That means it's someone who's against Antichrist, against Christ. This person is a, an against Christ, an Antichrist, because he denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4, 2, he says, this is how we recognize the Spirit of God in someone. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now, we talked about this on that week. The Christ is a big word. It doesn't just mean Messiah, which is exactly what it means. But what does Christ, what does Messiah mean? That is a loaded word. That it's not his last name. It's not Jesus Christ, you know, J.C. and the boys or something. It's not his, his last name. It is a title, and that title is huge. Christ means that he is the promised Savior and that he is God in the flesh. So every time you see Jesus is the Christ or Jesus Christ, it means he is Jesus the Savior, the promised one who came to rescue us from our sins, who is God in the flesh walking among us. That is a huge title. So when John says, if anyone does not acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, 
then they are truly not one of those that are a follower of Christ. Someone who does not acknowledge Christ Jesus as the one Savior who is God in the flesh. He says, don't be deceived. They're not a follower of Christ. This is a challenge because I want you to think about this. Everything spiritual is not from God. Everything that sounds like spiritual and talk about faith or even God talk, everything that, everything, whenever someone talks about God, it doesn't mean it's from God. He says, this is how you know if it's the spirit of God or not. Does it proclaim that Jesus is God in the flesh? Is he Christ, the Savior? That word Savior means we are a sinner in need of salvation. So that word Christ means, is he Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins, who is God in the flesh? Loaded word, Christ. Can someone truly say that he is Jesus the Christ? And that's the Jesus test. Is he the Messiah or is he a Messiah? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a way? Is he one of many ways? Or is he the way? Because Jesus claims exclusive rights to salvation. And John says, this is how you know. It's someone who understands that very challenging truth that Jesus is the only way. See, there's a challenge of discernment that we all have to come to grips with when it comes to walking with God. We can't just accept faith in God talk. Is it about Jesus? Is Jesus truly who he says he is to that person? That's the Jesus test. It's a big one. The eighth test is uh, the internal test. The ninth test is the external. Here's the internal. The internal is, am I making progress? Or am I making excuses? Am I making excuses or am I making progress? First John 3, 6 says, No one who lives in him, in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, we talked about this last time, and it does not mean that you never sin once you follow Christ. That word there is a verb. It's a, it's a, it's a present tense verse that means those who are continually living in sin are probably not followers of Christ. That's what John says. He says, if someone is continually living in a destructive cycle and they're, they're, they're owning that sin as just a part of who they are, if they're making excuses for that sin, he says they're probably not a follower of Christ. Because he says no one who continues to walk in the cycle of sin has either seen him or known him. Remember, walking with Christ is not about perfection. It's about a process. That means as you give your life to Christ, you might still struggle with sin. You might still struggle with, with bad habits, but there's a progress that's always happening, and you're, you're dying to yourself and allowing Christ to, to mature you and grow you with each step that you take. You should look different a month from now than you do today. You should look different a year from now than you do today. John's saying if you're not growing, that maybe you're not walking with God. See, when it comes to our struggle with sin, no one is perfect, not even me. The difference between a poser and a real deal is that they both mess up, but a Christ follower is growing and changing and falling forward. The other just makes excuses. Well, that's just the way my family is. That's just the way I was raised. That's just my, you know, attitudes. That's just what I like. There's the internal Here's the external. The external is this. This is the one we ended up with last week, and then we're going to give you the last question, and we're going to close up this chapter. And this is the external, and that is, 
the love question, that is, am I a lover of people? You know, there's been a lot going down over the last couple of weeks, last month, over, over issues with gay marriage and uh, race uh, violence, and there's just all kinds of things going on. But the answer should always be, how are we treating people? Are we treating them the way that Jesus would have us treat them? This is not condoning a lifestyle. This is not condoning sin. But John is saying, if you are truly a follower of Christ, then you respond differently. This is what he says in 1 John three fourteen. He says, we know that we have passed from life to death. We know that we are a follower of Christ because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And you need to ask yourself, does your life reflect love in action? Or do you just feel sorry for people? Because love is not, oh, that's so sad. Let's go have lunch. Oh, they need clothes. I'm glad I got shoes. We're about to go to Haiti in a couple of weeks. And I tell you, when we go to Haiti, it is almost over overwhelming. Because we're, we walk into villages and kids are just like running up into our arms. And we, once we're holding them, I mean, they don't have clean running water. They have like, a, like four wells in a, in a village of a couple thousand. And, and we're, these kids are jumping up in our arm. We're holding them. And we just realize they have no pants on. They have no underwear on. They, they, they have no clothes. And they have no shoes. And the clothes they do wear are, are ragged and worn and torn. And, and some of them, they don't even have decent clothes at all. Most of them don't. In fact, I, re- I remember sitting in the service there at the church there in Haiti, and the pastor was up there talking about tithing. You're like, what? How in the world can the pastor in a country like Haiti where nobody has money, it's a 70% unemployment rate. All right? So that means there's a good chance nobody has a job. There's not an economy there. There's, no, there's not a tax structure there that really is working. There's not a way to, to, to bring economy in. Nobody's going to build a factory there. Their land is shot. So it's very, very hard to farm there. And here's the pastor talking about tithing. Now, initially you're thinking, man, that is cold-blooded. But here's what I respect about this man. He was a man of God preaching the Word of God, the whole Word of God. He doesn't go, well, because you're poor, I'm just not going to talk about generosity. Here's how he did it. Man, and this was so convicting because he was talking to a bunch of people that had nothing. And he says, you know what? We don't have money. But he says, but you do have two pairs of shoes, some of you. And he says, I want to challenge you to maybe bring a pair of shoes because we have some people in our church that don't have any shoes. Or maybe you have three or four shirts and he says, uh, maybe you can spare one of those shirts and bring it. And then we can give it to those who don't have a shirt. Man, these people were taking notes and they were saying amen. And I was thinking, you know what? That is their resources. And they were bringing their one pair of shoes that they had left out of two, or they were bringing an extra shirt. And, because, see, the, the word of God is a, is, is a challenge. If you're truly a follower of Christ, then you have this sense of love and compassion and generosity and kindness, and you just want to share it with those that are in need. So I have a question for you, a moment of truth, external question. It's the love question. Are you a lover of people, and does your life show it in action? And now today, the last question. Question number 10, and then we're going to wrap up the chapter, okay? And it's this. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 24, John says, We know we are his 
by the Spirit He gave us. That's it. That's a very simple last question. Here's the last question. It's the experience test, and that is, is the Holy Spirit working in you? And I got to really thinking about what that exactly means. Is the Holy Spirit working? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is working in you? Very simple. You respond to the things of God when you hear them in your heart. When you sense the the Holy Spirit calling you to work, to move, to do, to reach, to touch, to give, when you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you, convicting you to change, to rearrange, to reconnect, when you sense the Holy Spirit moving in you towards the things of God, then John says that's one of the signs of a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is given to every true believer of Christ. The Bible says that when you are regenerated, that means when you're given a brand new life, when your life starts over in Jesus and the old things have passed away, behold, all things are brand new. All that sin, all that garbage, all that stuff you did in the past, it's washed away in Christ. You're given a new life, uh, kind of a second chance, a born again. That means you're, you're given a life again, a new life. The Bible says you're deposited into your life by Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit. And that deposit into the whole, into your life is the very spirit of adoption that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given one of the most powerful gifts in the galaxy, the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you have them? Because you want to know God. Because you seek and pursue the things of God. Because when it's time to open up the Word of God, you want to know what it says. You're not settling into your chair to take a nap. You're ready because the Holy Spirit in you is saying, this is for you. It's time to wake up because the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak through His Word to you. How do you know the Holy Spirit is working in you? Because every day you're looking at your life and you go, wow, that used to be me, but that's not me anymore. I feel different. I think different. I used to think that way, but I don't anymore. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. And over the course of your life, you're looking back over your experiences and you're going, you know what? The Holy Spirit's working in me. That's the experience test. To sense His Spirit, to crave more for God, to thirst to know Him, and coupled with the others, this is an extremely powerful test. So those are the 10 questions. And then John begins to close his letter. So let's read it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, let's read it. It says, we know that we live in him because he, in us, because he is in us, the Holy Spirit, because he has given us his spirit. This is how you know you have the Holy Spirit. It's, I want you to imagine... Like the Holy Spirit is like is like a song. And it's like when you got that song in your head, you just can't get out of your mind. You ever get that experience? You just got that song, you just got to sing it. Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? Yeah, sure. Thank you. All right, let's pray. I was just kidding. Man, sometimes you get you get that song in your head and you're like, man, I just I just gotta sing it. I just I uh, don't stop. Believing, hold on to the feeling. That is probably the, one of the greatest songs ever written, ever in the history of the world. Do you know that song is is uh, statistically, literally played 
every single minute of the day somewhere in the world. It's the only song like that. In every genre, in every style, in every category, almost in every channel, that song pops up at least once somewhere in the world every second, every minute. That's pretty amazing. All that to say is that sometimes you get a song in your mind and you just you just can't keep it inside because you hear it over and over and over. John says, man, that Holy Spirit, it's like a song in your mind you just can't get out. Because you hear him over and over, and you just got to do it. You just got to get it out of you. He says, this is how you know, because he's given us the Spirit. It's like a song you can't get out of your head. He says, and when we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, that's his physical expression, God in the flesh, to be the Savior of the world, Savior from our sins, because we are in need of salvation. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, Son means in the flesh, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that He is King, then God lives in Him, and He in God. It means that that you are in Him and He is in you. Only by His Spirit are we able to do that. Only... No one can even say, truly, truly say, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. He says, if, if that's your case, then that's a sign that you are truly his. He says, and so, verse 16, we know and rely on the love God has for us. That means if you know that you've confessed sin, if you know that you've acknowledged Christ as Lord, then you can have assurance if your spirit testifies to that, that you are truly his. It's interesting. He's about to say there are times in our life when we don't trust that decision that we made for Christ because we do struggle, because we do stumble. But he answers to that. I'll get to that in a minute. Now, when my daughters were born and I held them for the very first time and I cried like a little baby, I had these feelings of incredible joy and incredible fear at the same time. I, was inc- I felt so brave, but I also felt incredible insecurity because these were my children. My spirit was drawn to those two girls. And if you have children, it's not something that goes away. It's not something that, that ever stops when they grow up or when they move out of the house or when they leave. And, and I don't think parents really can express that feeling that, because kids don't have it to their parents as much. You can have a connection to your parents, but there's, a, there's just an incredible connection. My spirit was drawn to know her more, to know them both more, to, to talk to them, to see them more and more every day. I didn't grow more and more detached from them. I grew more and more attached to them. He says that's what the Holy Spirit does for those that are followers of Christ. In chapter 4 and 5, John continues to drive home the greater depth of the test. We're going to wrap it up in John chapter 5, verse 1, the last chapter. This is what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. He says, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we, that we uh, love the children of God. This is how we know that we love each other. He says, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commandments, man, they're they're not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
When the world seems to be going to pot, when our life seems to be falling apart, when our friends and our life and our work and our job and the culture seems to just be spiraling all over, he says, mm, this is how we know we have victory through our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not he who pickets the loudest, he who does the most intense Facebook posts. It's not he who shares the most like articles. And it's not the one who who has the biggest bumper sticker or wears the coolest Christian t-shirts or listens to just the right type of music or, or, or does all the exclusively right Christianese things. He says it's the one who believes that Jesus is God in the flesh, the Savior. See, John challenges three major issues, three big questions, three big tests. The three big overall things of 1 John are this. Number one, that if I genuinely want the Father, I need to know Jesus. Hands down, first thing you need to know. If you want to know God, you will never know him without Jesus. You will never be able to connect with the Father, the creator of the universe, until you meet Jesus personally, face-to-face, on your own, spiritually. What do we think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? He's the only hope. Are you following a man or are you following God? Because theology matters. The second question he asks is, if I genuinely love God, I'll also love his kids. He spends half the chapter talking about no matter who it is, you know how I know that you're a true follower of Christ? You love people, period. What does your love say about Jesus? When you know the real Jesus and you, you know his love, then you begin to love differently. You become his hands and feet. And the, the third big question of 1 John is, if I genuinely love God, I'll also obey his commands, which is, what does your life say about Jesus? The three big overarching themes of John is, what do you think about Jesus? What does your love say about Jesus? And what does your life say about Jesus? Because if you love him, he says over and again, you will obey him. Now, if you can think of this as a song, like I said earlier, it's played out in different melodies. And together we make this beautiful harmony of the kingdom of God that the Spirit sings through us. Our lives become the very lyrics of the song of God. John wraps it up with a challenge of prayer. And this is where we're going to end it. The very John's final goodbye to the church there in Ephesus uh, in this letter because he writes two more. He says, the final thoughts are for those who are true followers of Christ. So if you pass the test, this is for you. He says, if you uh, are ready, here's what he says. First John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Guys, listen, you don't have to wonder if you are a Christian. You can know that you know that you know that you are truly a child of God. He says, I write this very letter so that you can know, so that you can have full assurance So you don't have to wonder, am I truly a Christian? Am I truly a follower of God? Am I truly going to heaven? And he says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we 
know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked. Now, this is one of those like crazy matic verses. I say crazy matics because I, I grew up in a very charismatic Pentecostal culture. And this was the verse they loved to say, look, you can ask whatever you want. And if you just believe, you're going to get it. That's not exactly what he's saying here. And I want you to understand this. He's ending this whole letter with a challenge of prayer to those of us who are true followers of Christ. It sounds like we can get what we want, but that's not what he's saying. Check this out. He's wanting to say, first of all, that you can know that God hears your prayer. First of all. All right, so I want you to know your prayers don't hit the ceiling. They're not trapped in your bedroom. They don't hit the top of your car. When you're lying out in a place of complete pain and dissolution, it doesn't hit the end of the concrete walls. It actually extends to the very throne of God. If you are a follower of Christ, your prayers can be assured. You can be assured God hears them. And then he goes on to say this. This is important, that the key to praying with confidence is this. He says, ask according to God's will. That's it. It's that. Ask it in. How do you know if God's going to hear your prayer? Easy. Ask it according to his will. So if you're wondering if God's going to hear that prayer, well, is it God's will? Because if it is, you're going to have complete confidence that he hears it and he's going to work on your behalf. We often think if we know Jesus, we can ask whatever we want and get whatever we want. We treat Jesus' name like it's like like some sort of magic potion. God, I want this. Thank you. I need this. I need this. And in Jesus' name, stamp. That means you got to do it, God. I said in Jesus' name. We treat his name like some sort of magic phrase that God now must do it. No, no, no. John is saying we can't misuse and isolate these verses. John is saying God is not a vending machine. He is a God who says pray according to his will. He says, we can have this confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, we can have confidence that he hears us. And then he tells us when not to pray. Do you know you should pray? And there's actually times when you don't need to pray. That's what he says in the next verse is, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. That means if you see someone struggling, pray for that person. If you see that person like getting bound up in, in bondage or struggling with sin or something, he says, pray for that person. He says, I refer, he says, he goes, I'm about to say, I'm referring now to those whose sin does not lead to death. Now, what? You see, when you are a follower of Christ, you are his. And if you're driving down the road, Christian, true follower of Jesus Christ who's a child of God and you have a lustful thought and you get into a wreck, you're not going to go to hell, all right? If you're at work and all of a sudden you, you drop something or, or you trip or fall or if you're hammering and you slam your nail and, and you, you shout out some sort of like profanity swear word, you're not going to go to hell, all right? Because these are things that God doesn't have for you, but they're not the sins that are going to lead to death. Because you are a child of God. You are part of his family. And if you're truly born again, God is working in you a progress of of maturity. And you can struggle along the way, but you're his. And you can have confidence in that. He says, now there are those, however, that that are struggling in the depths of depravity that will lead to death. But then there are those struggles that we have that do not lead to death. But he says this, he says, those that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. 
And again, it says this, there is no need to pray about that. Here's what that means. If you know God's will and his word for you, God is, if God has already spoken clearly about something, you don't need to pray about it. God's word is very clear on almost, almost, I would, you know, 99% of all the questions of your life. Marriage, relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, job, money, uh, you know, budgeting, you know, family, whatever. Just whatever it is, the word of God has already spoken. God, should I, should I date this guy who's not a Christian if you're a girl? I'm not a girl. Uh, if you're a girl and you're saying, God, should I preach this guy? His, I love the way his skin wraps around his skeletal frame. You probably just say, he's just so cute, right? And he's, he's got these, these abs that are just so nice. And God, he's really a good person. Should I date this person? Well, God has already made it very clear that if you're a follower of Christ, you shouldn't be dating people who are not on the same journey with Jesus as you. That's called unequally yoked. You don't need to pray about that. God, should I take this job? I know it does things and, and uh, uh, you know, it causes me to do things that, that glorify sin and involve me in sinful life. I, I, God, you know, if you're a guy and you're having to pray about whether you should work at a strip club or not, the answer is no. You don't need to pray about it. No, all right, because that's not what God would have for you. God's really clear on a whole bunch of stuff. It's a whole, I mean, pretty much. And if you don't really know, that's why we have pastors. That's why I have leaders and small groups. So you can talk about some of the things that God says about areas of our life. But you know what? If the, if the word of God is clear on it, John says, you know what? You don't need to pray about that stuff. Just do it. But those things that you're not so clear on, those things that, 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 that maybe don't lead to death but are, you're struggling with, then you need to get on your knees about those with Jesus and find out what he has for you about those things. Verse 17, it says, all wrongdoing is sin. He says, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. You know, it's like when we were kids and we keep asking parents, you know, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And you already say no once, right? How many times do they have to ask before you say yes? Anybody? 50, oh, that's your number, 52? <laughs> that's rhetorical, right? The answer is always going to be No. Come on, mom, come on, dad. No, I said, now all it does is just make you mad, right? I don't think God's going, I said no, you know. But I think the answer is no. Stop coming and asking if you can do this. I think sometimes like, God, can I? God's saying no, the answer is still no. God, can I do this? The answer is still no. God, do I have to do that really? Well, the answer is still yes. Stop praying about it and just do what God says. That's what John says. It's a challenge. All right, here's his final words, and we're going to pray. John 5, 18, he says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. doesn't live in a life of sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him or touch him. When I was, my very first youth pastor job uh, was at a church in Mesquite, and we have a youth group name. Our youth group name, by the way, here at our church is, is One, O-N-E. And uh, the, each, the junior high and the high school have two different verses for one. We are youth one. But when I was a youth pastor in my first church, we called ourselves the untouchables. You know, like in a gangster kind of feel. 
And it was this verse right here. Is that anyone who is born of God, God keeps him safe, and the evil one does not touch him. Great verse. That was, that was on our T-shirts and everything, so that's going back 23 years. Uh, talking spiritually, he says, he says, you're not his by your efforts, but by God's. And it's not through uh, our work, but it's through Jesus' work. Obedience is a byproduct. He goes on to say, verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control uh, and that uh, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That means that we have fallen, we live in a fallen world. There is an enemy. Life is painful. Uh, don't blame God. Don't blame the preacher. We live in an evil world where the enemy is is in like full, like, you know, strategy against mankind. He says, remember this, however, those that are born of God, it's hands off for him. We know that also the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Jesus has won. We win. And we are in him who is true, even in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the very last part. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's an interesting place to end because right there he says this. At the end of life, at the end of this letter, all that I've said, keep Christ on the throne of your heart. Don't be drawn away by the things that take over in your life. The idols. We may not bow down to to actual idols and stone and statues, but we have idols called car, job. Even our family can become an idol if it sits on the throne instead of Jesus himself. So John says, guys, listen. Keep Jesus on the throne of your heart. As we as we end this this letter, you know, I spoke of my daughter's birth earlier and um, I want to share an illustration that I shared uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, Matt Chandler shared this story and then I want to pray for you. You know, when 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 my girls learned to walk, it was man, it was amazing. How many of you remember when your kids first walked? It's pretty pretty amazing. I mean, this might have been the, it might as well have been the first steps on the moon. It was like, yeah, do it again, right? And and when they walk, they walk terrible. They're terrible walkers. They're, they cannot, they're like, you know, they're like, help, you know, they're constant. And when they fall, we're not going, ha, you loser. You suck, you know. We don't, we don't go, come on, get it together. Pick yourself up and learn to walk better. No, we don't. You know what we do as a father? We look at our kids stumble and we go, oh, I'm just so thankful they're walking. Take a little step. Another little step. Come here, I'll even help you. I'll walk with you. All right, now you got it. Walk. Oh, you fell. That's okay. I'm going to help you up. And eventually that walk from the from the table to the couch, from the couch to the chair, from the, from the table to the kitchen, all of a sudden that little stumble becomes a, a run. And they're walking on their own. But as that process develops, at no time am I as a father ridiculing or mocking or angry at them because they fall. Guys, our Father in heaven is so much more loving than we are. And when you give your life to Christ, He doesn't look at you and go, Ha, you loser! Ha, you suck! 
When you fall, uh, stumble, when you fall, he doesn't go, come on, pick yourself up. I didn't die for you to do that. You know what he does? Like a good father, he comes and he holds us by the hand. He says, good step, good two steps. That's my son, that's my daughter, good job. Take another step, good job. And pretty soon we're walking, we're running, and our father's cheering us on every single step of the way. John is challenging us. We have a loving father. When we learn to walk with him, he doesn't attack and condemn. He walks us to a place of maturity. That's the letter of 1 John. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you have preserved the word of God for us. God, this letter written 2,000 years ago to early church believers, God, applies to our life today. God, thank you that you love us that you did die on the cross for our sins. And God, if there's anyone here today that would like to say yes to Christ, you will say yes to them. If anyone will put their trust and hope in you, God, you will receive them and call them your own and give them the greatest gift they could ever imagine, the Holy Spirit into their life. God, I pray right now as we wrap up our service, as we pray, God, make us children of God sons and daughters of God through confession. Right where you're at, just if that's you, you're saying, you know what? I want to be a child of God today. I want to acknowledge my need for him and give him my life. Will you take a moment just to say in your own words a prayer to God? Say, Jesus, here I am. Forgive me of my sins. In your own words, tell him, forgive me of my sin. Here's my life. I have stumbled. I have fallen. But Father, pick me up. Hold my hand. Walk with me. Mature me. Help me to know what it means to walk as a child of God. Go ahead, tell him, God. Say, God, give me your Holy Spirit to mature me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.